welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. Lord, we too need an encounter with our resurrected Lord and Savior. Please speak to us through your holy word that we might know you more deeply. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated. So a uh, rather pivotal consequential, critical point in many young people's life. It's that moment when you receive your first nickname. Could be elementary school, could be middle school, could be high school, could be college. Um, But it's important. It's a big day. Impacts a lot. Because it sticks with you. It can stick with you for, for a long time, and, and sometimes it can, can define you for good or for ill. I'm, I'm, I'm 40, and I still go home, and when I go home, guys are still called by the same nicknames that they were given in middle school. And some of them, I don't know what their real name is. And part of that's because I'm really bad with names, but that's, that's a different thing. Um, See, some, some nicknames are sweet, encouraging. Some are just kind of goofy. And some hurt. I know, um, found out when, when my dad's high school and college buddies would be around, they all, they didn't call him Mike. They, they called him Yeti. Because my dad was a big dude. He was also kind of hairy, but, you know, um, one, of, one of my prides in college, I, 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 played, I played rugby, and I remember um, in, in college, I was at a uh, rugby pub down in Pittsburgh, and there were some guys from a, uh, another team that, that we frequently played, and, and we were hanging out with some of those guys, and, and, and I noticed that, that the guys from the other team um, called me the Viking. <laughs> I really like that. Uh, and, and I found out that, 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 that everybody on that team called me the Viking. They didn't know my name. And I mean, it, it was partially because at that point in time, I, I did have long blonde hair. And, um, and I also had the practice um, of I would, I would take my own blood and I would paint my face with it and would stand across from the opposing team and stare at them and then scream violently. Um, I had issues, uh, but, um, but Jesus, Jesus is working on me. Uh, that's your priest for you. But, um, but the thing is, is, is whether it's, it's a fun nickname or whatever it is, and sometimes it's not a nickname, but just something that you've been called, it can mark you for, for a long period of time. Sometimes negative things, but even positive things. Sometimes you've been called something 
or described as something and you spend the rest of your life frantically trying to live up to it, but you can't. And I've known and counseled far too many people who have been living a life in light of a title that was given to them many, many years ago. In our Gospel reading, we have an account of the appearance of Jesus to his disciples. Two accounts. One with Tom, without Thomas, one with Thomas. And it's from this account that poor Thomas got a nickname. Doubting Thomas. Unfortunate for the guy. But 2,000 years later, he's still called Doubting Thomas. I, I like whenever I was preparing for the sermon and thinking about it, I, I liked kind of just imagining Thomas with the disciples venting right now. Like, telling him, like, are you guys serious? Like, one time. You know, like, all the other stuff I did, like, one time. And everybody, like, is calling me Doubting Thomas. I mean, come on. Look at Simon. Nobody's calling him Denying Simon. Like, no. And the dude just constantly kept putting his foot in his mouth. But then Jesus gives him a sweet nickname, Peter the Rock, you know. Or John and James. They're hotheads. Nobody's calling him John the Unstable. No. They get the nickname Sons of Thunder. And, and, and poor Thomas is doubting Thomas. <laughs> but as you'll see today, I want to look at this, is that, that it was an unfortunate nickname, but it's also kind of unfair to Thomas. That Thomas has a lot more in common with the rest of the disciples than maybe the rest of the di- disciples in the conversation would have liked to admit. So I want to look today at the disciples prior to the encounter of our resurrected Lord and then look at, our, at the disciples after that encounter and then look at how encountering the resurrected Christ provides us a new nickname, transforming our identity and how we perceive ourselves. So first, the disciples pre-resurrection encounter. I'm going to start with Thomas here. We see in the account that the disciples were locked up in a house out of fear. And it says that that Thomas was not there. Nothing indicates why he wasn't there. I like to imagine that it was poor Thomas that it happened to be that night that he drew the short straws to sneak out and do an egg and milk run at the corner store. But for whatever reason, he wasn't there. But then, you know, and he comes back, though. You know, coming back from, from that corner store run and, and the disciples greet him and say that they've seen Jesus, that Jesus was there, that he had resurrected And in 25, we see what Thomas says. He says, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And the thing is, is by by Thomas saying this, he's not being a hardened skeptic. If you were here... Uh, on Easter Sunday, one of the main points that I emphasized was that nobody was expecting resurrection in the middle of history. 
let alone no one was looking for a resurrected Messiah. So the fact that that Thomas was a little bit uncertain and unsure was not him being this like hardened, atheistic skeptic. It's him being a good Jew, being like, this doesn't make sense. Something must be up here. But as I said, Thomas gets a bad rap. And an unfortunate nickname. Because if we go back to the story, the other disciples were not very different from Thomas. So looking at the other disciples, we see in, in John's account that they were locked up in a house, he says, for fear of the Jews. Which was actually quite logical. I mean, any time that you have a new movement, a messianic movement that, that is threatening the powers that be, that even when they kill the leader of that movement, to squash the movement, they have to also make an example out of some of the key figures. And so they had every reason to think that what happened to Jesus was coming their way. And they weren't wrong, because if you read through Acts, many tried to do just that. But as you pull together the gospel accounts, you know that they're in the upper room, afraid with the door locked, after they had already received report from Mary Magdalene. Who came and told them that the tomb was empty, told them that she had seen the resurrected Lord. But the Mary's uh, proclamation and testimony was not enough for the disciples in the exact same way that the disciples' proclamation was not enough for Thomas. We see that Jesus comes in, says, Peace be with you. Shalom. And he shows them his hands inside. The same statement that he did with Thomas. Luke, in his account, adds some details that John doesn't include. And it says that when Jesus appeared and said, Peace, shalom, be with you. It says that the disciples feared and thought he was a spirit. And Jesus said to them, Why do you doubt? And then he showed his hands and sighed and then asked them for some fish to eat. But it was not until they themselves saw the wounds of Jesus, saw his physical presence before them, did their doubt turn to belief that their fear was changed to rejoicing. Just like Thomas. See, if anything... Poor Thomas shouldn't have had the nickname Doubting Thomas. The disciples should have had the nickname the Doubting Disciples. Because before encountering the resurrection, that's what they were. I want to make a quick note, just an aside, about doubt at this moment. Because I think it's important, especially in our age. Our culture likes to elevate doubt. To the point where it's almost like a virtue. But in Scripture, doubt is not celebrated, but is instead something that God dispels. In our age of modern enlightenment and great skepticism, superior to all of those ancient ignorant people who are duped 
into believing this type of stuff. We celebrate the fact that I have doubts. Problem is, is no one doubts their doubts. Ain't nobody doubting this intellectual certitude that was handed down to us from childhood from a long line of philosophical systems. Nobody's doubting that. And in the midst of it, no matter where, what we think of ourselves, studies have shown over and over again, and you don't need studies, you just need to look at society. We tend to like to doubt the things that challenge our own beliefs and ideals. And we don't tend to doubt those things that align with our ideologies. But even though doubt is not something that we lift up as virtuous and makes us superior to those people with simple faith, we see that Jesus does not condemn their doubt. He doesn't say, you doubt me, leave me. But in the midst of their doubt, he encounters them where they need to be encountered. He draws them into himself. But most importantly, regardless of doubt, Jesus was still raised. And they were still his disciples. As Christians, our faith are, is a historic and external faith. What I mean by that is our faith is not built upon some divine spark within that we need to muster up and cultivate within ourselves and is dependent upon either our our emotional sensibilities and passions or our intellectual certitude. Whether we feel certain at the moment or doubt at the moment, whether we feel the presence and the glory of the Lord or we feel empty and alone, Jesus is still risen. He is still Lord. And he still is calling each and every one of us his own. And so even though we don't celebrate doubt, we don't need to fear it. Because it doesn't change the state of what God has done in Christ. So going back to the disciples, they're looking at them post-resurrection encounter with Christ. Starting again with Thomas, after he was invited to to touch the resurrected Lord, Thomas explains, my Lord and my God. And just a note, this Thomas was not using uh, like a common American like exclamation. He wasn't saying like, oh, my God, this is crazy. You know, I mean, like he was he was a Jew. The Jews, out of fear of breaking the second commandment, were very concerned to never use the, 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 the name of God, never to speak of God in any flippant way. Even to the extent in which they would go out of their way not to use the Lord's name. There's no way Thomas was doing that. What Thomas was doing was that was was after encountering the resurrected Lord, he was realizing the fullness of what Jesus had told them prior to his death and resurrection. Such as whenever he was speaking to Philip and Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. And then Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip, whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. 
In the resurrection, that, 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 that Thomas is now making a bold proclamation and acknowledgement that Jesus truly was Emmanuel. That He was God with us. You see in that moment, the one who's known as Doubting Thomas becomes the one who makes the earliest and one of the most bold claims of orthodoxy. That the crucified and resurrected Messiah was the fullness of God in our midst. And even though we're uncertain and the history is not, not certain with a, with a lot of, of kind of early church tradition and stuff, but we do have reason to believe that there is at least a level of truth and historic um, correctness in, in the early church's tradition that, that St. Thomas later on would be the apostle that would take the gospel to the furthest reaches of the world than any other apostle. That Thomas would go and preach this resurrected Messiah in Iran and then eventually in India. And interestingly, is whenever England colonized India and missionaries were sent into India, the missionaries were shocked to discover a native church that was small, but was still active. And those native Indian Christians claimed that their church traces its roots back to the preaching of the gospel of St. Thomas. The other disciples, they were the same way. Ones filled with fear and doubt. We see in our New Testament lesson that they went from ones who had themselves locked up in a room out of fear of the Jews were now locked up by the Jewish leaders in a prison for boldly proclaiming openly the gospel of Jesus. And when they were released, they didn't go running for another house to hide in. They went running for the public square to keep doing the very thing that had them locked up. To keep doing the very thing that if you read right before this in Acts, they were threatened by death to keep silent about. But we need to remember that even though in hindsight we lift up the apostles as these great men, in and of themselves, none of them were great men. Said their nickname should have been the Doubting Disciples or the Cowardly Crew. I wanted to come up with like a whole rhythm of those, but my brain's fried and that was all I could come up with. But, um, but I mean, they were broken, frail men with a shady past. Some of them were just rednecks from a backwater, podunk town in the middle of nowhere. Some of them were sellouts, traitors to their nation and their people, trying to get a money grab. They were anything but the great apostles that we, we think of them as. And yet after they encountered the resurrected Lord, they were given a new calling, a new identity, a new title, a new nickname. They were the apostles of Christ. They got a sweet new nickname. 
St. Andrew, St. Peter, St. John, St. Thomas. This leads to our own reality as post-resurrection people. Verse 29 through 31, St. John writes, Jesus said to them, have you, seen, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Most likely none of us in this life are going to see the resurrected Lord physically before us. I'll be honest, if any of y'all do, I'm not going to believe you. Like if, if Joe and Allison came up and like, Eric, we were making dinner and Jesus showed up in the kitchen. And, and, and then we made southern fried catfish and he ate with us. And I, I, would, I would tell them not to tell anyone else this. Seek help that I can't offer them. But I would definitely be like Thomas. I would say, you know what? No, like, unless, I, unless, unless Jesus comes to me and eats fried fish with me, then I'm not going to believe it. But see, most of us will not have that. But he says, blessed are those who will believe without seeing. And then he says that many signs were, were performed. John's very, very interesting. He doesn't speak of miracles. He speaks of signs because the miracles of Jesus, the acts of Jesus, were not just some power show to wow and amaze people. They were signs because they pointed beyond themselves to a greater reality, the reality of the coming kingdom of God, the reality of who he was and what he had come to do. And he said that these are written for our sake. It's written in scripture. And in many ways, the scriptures are also a sign. God did not give us this book so we can have a relationship with a book. We are not, my brothers and sisters, the people of the book. Muslims are. That's what they claim for themselves. We are not. The written word has power and exists because it points us beyond itself that we might encounter the living word of God. That through the proclamation of the apostles, we might believe and encounter the one whom which these scriptures point us towards. And as we encounter that resurrected Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel, it changes everything for us just as it did for the disciples. We live in an age where we're obsessed with with self-identification. How you identify yourself. And it came about because we thought that that would be a form of granting us liberation. But it actually creates shackles. And no, no matter how much we want to be kind of independent and self-defined, we aren't. And so we still frantically run around trying to be defined by others or seeking affirmation of our own self-definition. 
because we need something outside of ourselves. The thing is, is our self-identification or our past labeling that was given to us by others immediately loses its, its, its significance in the face of our resurrected Lord. Your nickname, what you've been identified as or called, failure, loser, stupid, white trash, street thug, drunk, junkie, slut, player, whatever those labels might have been, or even the positive ones that have killed you because you can never live up to those things that were said to you. They all come to nothing once we have encountered Christ and receive a new name that is rooted in his name. The resurrected Lord showing us his wounds. He was showing his wounds to show that he was physically and tangibly resurrected. But he also is showing his wounds as a reminder of his love and the price that he has paid for you and I. That we might have the peace, that we might have the shalom that he speaks over us. In light the death and resurrection of Christ, we have a new identity and we have an awesome mirage of new nicknames. There's some of them. Ambassadors of Christ, citizens of heaven, disciples, beloved, children of the Most High, heirs with Christ, jewels, kings and queens, priests, new creation, God's redeemed, living temples of God, saints. And these aren't titles that we must live up to, but titles that have been given to us by grace, realized as we are confronted by our wounded yet resurrected Lord. Like the doubting disciples who, after encountering the resurrected Lord, became Christ's apostles to bring the gospel to the known world, we too, as we encounter the resurrected Lord through the power of his Holy Spirit and the proclamation of his gospel, are liberated from our past titles and nicknames that identify us, to live within our world with confidence and peace, even as we still carry with us some fears and doubts, knowing that we are marked as ones who are loved and chosen by Christ, the one who occupied the cross and left the tomb empty, who conquered sin and death, passing through the grave and was gloriously resurrected as the firstfruits of all who are in him. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue thy free grace alone from the first